0: Everyone. tonight we're gonna to do another character drift, and Julie will be the drifter um I didn't actually write my shorts like I was supposed to my bad i I have no excuse <laughs> I just I, I even i even like know where I was gonna write for each one of them and 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 then I did nothing i I have no excuse um but i but i will i I will write some shorts for my two original characters that I created. Um, But instead of writing that this week, I wrote, um, uh, I don't know, 25K of Girl McKay. Um, Anyways, uh, there we go. Tonight, we're going to do Jilly. Jilly's, we're not doing Jilly. (laughs) That came out wrong. (laughs) Alright, depending on your audience, my audience, you you guys don't. Yeah, I forgot who I was talking to for for a minute. Tonight we're gonna do Jillie, <laughs> so I'm gonna get her on the phone. Um, for fuck's sake, I forgot. Hold on, I have the memory skills of a daffodil, so this should be you. Is that you? It is me. There we go. And I can't find my plotting pen. What the hell? I just had it. Oh no. <laughs> I had it. I did and I yes, had it. And yet for those of you who don't understand the significance of a plotting pen. Oh my god, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I had it in my hands and I went I at that labial loin. My my favorite pen um, currently is a Z-Grip Flight by Zebra. Oh, I fucking love those pens. I have to buy them on Amazon because they're hard to find in the store. So I have about 40 in my house right now in a, in a box. That's okay, though, because I might need them. Oh, it's behind the T. Okay. I should have been able to see that. Okay. I'd have been all discombobulated if I'd been trying to write stuff down... With the wrong pen, it'd have been terrible. It would have been. I get it. For those, for, if you didn't listen to my character drift, we're gonna. Jilly is gonna build a character from the from the ground up, and we'll see how it goes. She's gonna do an original character. I am. So I went looking through. Um, you just built a character. Um, you did characters that didn't really have a slot. Um hmm I have. A, I. I. I that kind of was a little bit um, intimidating to me to build a character that didn't <laughs> have a purpose. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, am it's I am like, I My that? character came first and and then my purpose happened, which which is actually how I normally w- work with original fiction. I'll build a character and then build a um, plot around my character. But in fandom, I usually have a purpose for the character, and then I build the character. So it's an entirely different thing. But I don't know why I approached it the way I did last week. I just did. So. Well, I decided to look at stuff that I have that I'm working on plotting or that I have ideas for and think about what characters I was missing um, that I hadn't plotted in some way. Um, and so I'm plotting an antagonist for a story first. I'm not plotting, okay. building an antagonist for a story. Um, so that'll be different. We're building the bad guy and all of his psychological mess up <laughs> Go. Go okay, so I had um, so I kind of I kind of give you guys a little bit of background of what I'm who I'm putting in what, what the story's for It's I um started um, I was reading an um article a couple years ago about um the biomechanical roots of um love and affection and addiction and um reading about this this con- concept called limerence which is um in, sort of like it's not really love. It's like um, it's like being addicted to somebody, as opposed to actually. And it's sort of something that at the early stages of it can look like falling in love, but then as it progresses, as it gets obsessive and uncontrollable and intrusive and um, very dysfunctional. Um, Oxycontin addiction isn't, isn't that the uh, chemical we create with affection or? Um... When yeah, oxytocin. Oxytocin. oxytocin, yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, no, wow, so it, I don't know why not. Okay, close, close enough. Yeah, so we produce mm-hmm. the the chemicals are like um um your hypothalamus and your your um, pituitary gland they release um norepinephrine, dopamine. There's one I can never pronounce that starts with a P. Um, estrogen, <laughs> testosterone, and various other things, and then the big one is oxytocin, and it makes us think, you know, this is what love feels like. And people can become addicted to those, those that chemical mixture in the brain, and um, it can get focused on um, a single person, and it's not actually love. It's a, more of an addiction to the feelings. It's an obsessive. Addiction to the feelings that that person engenders, rather than the person themselves. Anyway, so I, in, I had the story, kind of envision the story where um, this kind of, and I kind of take I take a lot of liberties with um, this this psychological term because it's you know there's just not a, there's not a ton of references about it, and what reference some of the references there are way over my head. Um, but I thought. You know, I was trying to imagine kind of somebody with this kind of obsession, kind of turning um, in a dark way. Um, and so, the story I had in mind was one where Tony knows he's somebody stalking him. He knows he's being stalked, and someone is sending him pictures of himself. So he knows someone's following him, and he knows it's been going on for quite a while. And in the course of, he's in the midst of a case where a serial killer is killing people and um, taking out their hearts. And he's this the stalking thing had happened started before the case. The case is kind of driving him crazy. He thinks the stalking is escalating, and he's trying to get some insight from some of his coworkers about how to handle the situation. When a box of hearts is delivered to him, and um, what this was is a person who, and my general idea for this person is someone who'd used to work with Tony, who had had this, who'd developed this kind of obsessive love for him. And it's not necessarily sexual, but it, um, it is, in the brain, feels like love. But it doesn't necessarily have a sexual component to it. And um, the killing was a way to keep working with Tony, um, dropping cases that would wind up in his lap. And so in his way, he was trying to keep, this guy was transferred to another office, And rather than transfer, he quit and has been following Tony since he left. And in an attempt to work with him, he's giving Tony cases to solve. So Tony, um, there's a couple of the cases that don't get picked up by Tony's team because they're overloaded. Um, And it really upsets him, so he makes his, um, he's making an assertion. Um, by sending Tony these souvenirs he's been taking on Tony's behalf. Um, so this is when, you know, so that would be the point. This would be kind of when the story starts. So I need to kind of, so I kind of had this idea of the role this killer would fill, but then I needed to kind of work on, I hadn't actually built him yet. I had worked on the plot. I had worked out all my other characters in the story because I um, have another team, actually, is who is working on Tony's stalking case. Um, and then the BAU comes in. So I had all of that stuff worked out, but I had never – the one piece I had never done was the character profile for my obsessed serial killer. So <clears throat> I did pick an actor for him. I picked the actor Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um, He's hot and creepy. Good choice. Yeah, he is hot and creepy. Um So he's about 50, so um, I think that's about how old Jeffrey Dean Morgan is, about 50. So the guy's 50-ish, in good health, big guy. Um, Let's see. Um, But I need to name him, and it can't be Jeffrey Dean Morgan. (laughs) So I'm thinking I want someone who's got, um, you know be the perfect time to use that town. What was it? Virginville, Pennsylvania. What do I want? <laughs> no, no, I'll use, I'll use the other one. I'll use the other one. There are two. There's, I had these two towns in Pennsylvania um, earmarked because they have interesting names. And one is Virginville. It's population 300. Let me pull up the other one. And the other one is Intercourse, which is in the heart <laughs> of Amish country, which I find to be rather hysterical that's fucking hilarious okay so he's from intercourse Pennsylvania <clears throat> some things people may never you think this is kind of stuff that like may not, never come out in the story but it amuses me in the background um, I think his father has German roots but not recently um, immigrated so been in the been in the U.S. for several generations um <clears throat> single only child and he has a dysfunctional relationship with his mother because because that's the way these things have to go i'm thinking she's very passive aggressive and controlling and he resents the hell out of her even though he is also very is he killing women he's killing men and women He's a former NCIS agent, so he's picking his. He's picking his. Um, he's picking his um, victims initially to try to um, prevent them profiling him. Initially, like by not having a specific type, and you know, not uh, the only thing. Of course, that they all have in common is that they're military, because you know they have to be Navy or Marines in order for Tony team to catch the cape. Um. So Sadria asked an interesting question. Is maybe he's, he's picking people who reflect people Tony's dated. That's possible. I'll have to make a note of that. I'll have to see how that feels a little a little later. Um. Okay, so he's Where's my character profile sheet Okay So I can fill that in from his So growing up I would say they are probably middle class Um, That area of Pennsylvania is Um Got a lot of Amish in it, so I'm thinking that there. That's probably a lot of. Um, um, there's a lot of um, religious influence in that area. Small towns um, and repression. Yeah, religion. Yeah, religion and repression. Um. So I grew up middle class. I don't know why I'm taking notes on your shit, but I am. <laughs> Go for it. Um, <laughs> and being that he was, I was saying he say he was a team lead before he resigned from NCIS. So still middle class, upper middle class. I think um, team leads probably make about, in, in federal government, probably make around $90,000 a year or so. Um I don't think he'd be able to where he would live. Um, I, I, in my head. Ken and Tony lives in D.C. proper. He doesn't live in one of the, um, um Virginia suburbs that are very close to D.C., like Falls Church or Alexandria or Arlington. Um, so I'm thinking he actually, uh, Tony lives. So my my Tony lives always lives in D.C. actually in the city. So. Um, I'm thinking with his obsession that he wouldn't be able to help but try to move closer to Tony. So I'm thinking this guy's going to live in D.C. too, probably about two within two blocks of where Tony lives. Because one of the characteristics of this is just a lot of um, inability to control... Um, their obsession with the person that they're obsessed with um, and that everything around them reminds them of the person that they're obsessed with. Um, Okay. So... You could make him um, D.C. police. Yeah, he could have started working for um, DCPD when he left... um, when he left um, NCIS, because he refused to take a transfer. And that would give him power. Yeah, it would. Um, I said he's an only child. I got that taken care of. I think maybe um, in terms of past relations, he's not currently married. He wouldn't be able to maintain a relationship with anybody currently. Um, but I'm thinking that maybe his, um was married once and his marriage ended in divorce. Mm, maybe late 90s. Let's say divorce, late 90s. Um. Probably repressed a lot of um growing up because of his upbringing and then being in um law enforcement repressed um, homosexual desires growing up, probably some internalized homophobia, yeah. Because he would no, I'm not right. getting your shit. Go ahead. Oh, just thinking that, um, from a psychological point of view, um, the killing has to be deeper than just wanting Tony's attention. Because, um, well, there are serial killers, and then there are what you would call say spree killers or mate and. You need to be careful when you're labeling a serial killer because a, a serial killer has a distinct psychological profile, um, and there, it's more than just killing in a series. This is something um, that they often fantasize um, of for many years before they do, um, and he might try to randomize his victim pool, but eventually he's going to fall into that fantasy of killing his mother. <laughs> but because he's focused on Tony, I I wonder if it should be the father. That would actually make more sense. Because the father could have been um, neglectful um, or apathetic for the problems he had with his mother left him on his own to deal with the problems of his mother Dart, um, you said something in the chat room that I don't actually agree with He says women usually kill for a goal rather than sexual or emotional release the fact of the matter is, is that um, most serial killers um, and spree killers uh, regardless of what they get out of killing um, are goal oriented and the goal is to kill uh, the motivation for killing most often differs between men and women, but the goal is essentially the same. Women kill for revenge, money, social standing, revenge, money. <laughs> but um, female serial killers are absolutely capable of um, killing with the, with the goal goal being killing and the motivation being sexual. Um, it absolutely happens. Revenge, when and more revenge. Women are more revenge-oriented than men, which is interesting to say the least. But there is that. Okay, some head kind of coming together in my head. Um. I'm thinking he really eventually got into killing with a knife, like through multiple stab wounds. It's a, Which is a it's, form of picarism, and yeah it's, it's instr- the word. Instrument rape. Right. Um, I probably should put a warning on this podcast. <laughs> I think, if we're making a bad guy, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I'll work on uh, something else. Work on in the actual plotting is how his um, his pathology evolved, but I'll say maybe he tried starting with both men and women, but eventually he settled into just men. Um, and the internalized homophobia could be part of the reason that he's doing it. Yeah, I'm thinking that actually. And as a much lot, as especially he, especially with the appeal of the as, as, as much as he's obsessed with Tony, he also hates him for. Yeah. He does. Um, Because he's actually telling himself that his affection, his obsession is not sexual. Um, Okay. What else do I need to know? And his father could have actually abused him for um, the belief that he might be gay being too interested in other boys. Maybe. Okay. So I've got him, so I think he doesn't maintain somebody like this is not gonna maintain close family ties with anybody. Um he worked a lot. That was his primary um Thing in his life. Um, I'll get to that section later. I need to get a better feel in my head for him. Um, okay, so I'm thinking he probably probably has. Um, a bachelor's in something fairly basic like business administration or something um, and then maybe did a tour in the Navy because there has to be a reason why he was drawn to NCIS and not just the police speak other languages, um, because... Um, at my I would say m- Marines. Marines, you think? U- Ultra male environment. Mm. Manly. Yeah. Okay, so Marines. And then we've got... Um, I'm going to go German. That's his second language. Because... Um, Spanish is the the second most popular language in Pennsylvania, but um, with his family background, I'm thinking in some parts, some parts of Pennsylvania are more German than they are. Um, So I'm thinking German, is the second language. Where's my language section? My pages are out of order. Okay. Language. German. How formal is his language? Eh, average American... So, eighth grade. Uses lots of contractions. Yes, of course, because he's an average dude. Level of erudition. Um, nothing particularly noteworthy there. I'm not thinking he's a big reader. Does he swear? Um, no. I'm going to say he doesn't swear. No swearing. I think that's his religious upbringing biting him and his mother's voice in his head. Does he use endearments with people? It's probably not terribly relevant, but... Maybe sarcastically. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. But he doesn't ever mean it. He's name substitutes, yes. And bad habits. No smoking. Yeah, my grandfather was in the Navy. He he never swore. Sensory acuity is fairly average, except he tastes really well, which is why he doesn't smoke. I think of weird questions for, about some of my characters, stuff that nobody ever will hear about, but it's just sprouting around in my head. Is he judgmental about anything in particular? Um, well, when I we got to the internalized homophobia, um, <laughs> sorry. Sneezing has to happen. I'm thinking that... That was a sneeze. Um, yes, it was. Don't make fun of my sneeze. Okay. It was cute. <laughs> my husband called it a ha- mouse sneeze. I'm thinking he probably outwardly um, says tolerant things about religion and stuff, but inside he really hates religion. Um... <laughs> Okay. The one time I actually had like an, a real live adult sneeze, everybody in my vicinity turned and looked at me like, "Are you sick?" <laughs> What's wrong with you? It just doesn't happen often. <laughs> Nervous tick. Um, hmm. I'll have to think about that one for a second. No disabilities, Um, although the way I think of his father, if he was maybe mildly dyslexic growing up, that could have set up some um, Inferiority. inferiority issues, especially if his father was intolerant of it. I'm going to do a mild dyslexia that he has under good control now, but that he has issues about mentally. What's his sense of style? I think he dressed like a detective, you know, like a cop. But he doesn't have Tony's sense of style. He doesn't, like, dress really well. He just, you know, off-the-rack suits, jeans and T-shirts kind of guy. You know, I think. Yeah, you know, actually, think. Lady Hiller says um, cheap Sears suits. I'm actually thinking that it could be like something um, that he changed where he buys his suits because of Tony. That maybe he overheard Tony make some comment about chopping at Sears. Um. Okay. Maybe he emulates Gibbs. Oh, because he sees that he sees that Tony admires Gibbs. Good idea. Of course, the way you're building that, that would eventually make Gibbs a target. Yeah, very true. No, no, no. Sorry, screensaver. You can't come on yet. Does he have any particularly particular talent? Um, I'm gonna say that he's an excellent shot and very stealthy, but otherwise, he's never really explored any kind of anything creative. He's not much of a reader. just the kind of person I'm not gonna hang out with okay um <laughs> My next question does he have any mental illnesses? Well, yes. He's a little bit of a psycho. He's a little bit of a nut job. Um, I'm thinking about four years in the military. Respectable and enough to... Yeah. Kind of smooth his way into the NCIS. Um, I have a lot of questions about how he deals with certain emotions, and I think with this character, they kind of almost all emotions um, outside of what he considers to be acceptable emotions to a situation, like guys joking with each other or finding something funny, that he mostly internalizes difficult emotions. Anger, sadness, conflict, all of that stuff, loss, that he just internalizes that stuff, that he doesn't ever deal with in any productive way. Um, And then all of this stuff, this kind of lifetime Um, um, of repression and internalizing things um, sort of gets focused um, on somebody that he sort of, I think Tony sort of at first sort of like somebody he sort of envies and admires in a way and then kind of also wants and wants to be and wishes he was like. There's just kind of a whole thing that goes on in his head and then it just, instead of, starting to resent Tony for him. He, he wants to possess him. He wants to kind of um, own him in a way. Okay, um, I think he was a good agent in general. You know, good. He wasn't particularly stellar. Um, I mean, he made team lead, so he's leading his own team. Um, he was a good agent. Everybody would have just said he was good. You know, there's just nothing that particularly jumped out um. Lady Holder asks is he, when he kills is he controlled or is he going into a frenzy I think he was fairly controlled at first until it started to really work for him well what you could do is the first killings are controlled because they're not what he really wants right He's killing to get attention for Tony, but they're not the victims that he really wants to kill. And then when he finally gets one that trips his trigger, so to speak. So he gets the right victim and he finds his path, so to It speak. fits his fantasy. It fits his... It Then it becomes to the point where he can't choose anybody but... That kind of person. Right. Because if he goes into it with the goal of getting Tony's attention and working with him, then it's not feeding his fantasy. It's not feeding the animal in him. So he would be more controlled. It's contrived. It's contrived killing. Right. But once he gets somebody that fits his needs, it's no longer contrived. Because I'm going to have it come out that um, this guy had repeatedly um, requested that Tony be reassigned to his team because he felt like Gibbs didn't appreciate Tony's um, contributions to the team and that Tony needed a a better environment. And I'm sitting here making air quotes, like you all can see that, um, in which he could flourish. And so he'd ask for Tony to be transferred to his team, which was, of course, denied. And... um, So his initial killings are his way of working a case with him, in a way. It's sort of, but eventually he then falls into what he really wants, what he's really getting out of the actual killings. Um, And so then there's two things going on. He's got this obsession. Aidy wants you to kill Siva and Tim. (laughs) 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 She asked, but she really wasn't asking the question. (laughs) No. Um, (laughs) Okay, let me think about what I don't know about this guy yet. Because a lot of the questions on my character sheet are for characters that, um, is he polite? Eh, He's guy polite. I would say he's guy polite. I've never written that down before. I have to write it down. He's guy polite. He's judgmental. I'd say he's probably very judgmental internally um, of almost everything and everyone and because he's always comparing everything and everyone to him and either finding himself or everybody else lacking but it's something that he never expresses. What I would like um, those of you who are listening for the skill part um, to, to really focus on is what um, Jilly is figuring out about her character, um, whether it's important for her plot or not. And these are things that may or may not show up in the course of her story that she's learned, that she's developed about her character um, that will give him a three-dimensional presence in her mind when she's writing. Right. Just I agree. I agree. You know. what you guys when you, when you if we, when the story's ever written, if you guys see this character, people who've heard this podcast will see things like guy polite doesn't swear, not much of a reader. You'll kind of see that reflected in how he speaks and acts, but you wouldn't necessarily know that, that was all part of his character profile. That I knew that he would be that way. That that's deliberate in how he's designed. Well, it's important for you to know your character this way but um there comes a point in the writing where you have to ask yourself is it important for the reader to know this this and this about your character or are these just things that it's rounding him out in your mind when you're writing so that when he moves through a scene he's a real person right and a lot of it a lot of times when i ask ask myself these questions for most characters like most of it's just so that I, when i am and I, I'll, I'll take all this stuff and distill it down to something smaller when I'm writing. Even, even fandom characters, I have a set of of things that I decide because we don't know a lot about the background of most characters in TV shows. Where I decide what level of education they have and how many idioms do they use and, you know, do they, do they, um, um, do they have a lot of formality in their language? Do they speak in sentence fragments? Do they have the who what thing in their language? Are they that precise about it? I mean, who that. Um, You know, so I I kind of have a a little cheat sheet about how a character would speak so that I keep the character voices distinct in my head. Um, And with most characters, you would never have any idea about their background and stuff, about why their background leads to the way they – but this character is a little bit different because, you know, I'm going to have the BAU involved and there's going to be more information about his background that's eventually going to come out. So some of this stuff will actually come out in the story, which is kind of different. One thing I would like to say about um criminal minds specifically, um, is when you're building a bad guy like this, um, it's it's very tempting to give your profilers um a profoundly accurate profile. Um like all these things that Jilly has already determined about her char- her character, her the domineering father, the passive aggressive mother, um these are things that uh you'd be tempted to give the profiler, so the profiler puts out a profile that fits your bad guy exactly. It's not realistic um when you're um, offering a profile in your story, it should be a little bit more generic than what we see on criminal minds and i ho- I hope that makes sense. Um, It shouldn't be presented as fact, but as um, theory. We believe, I believe, I think we'll find out. Perhaps his mother was passive. Perhaps his mother was submissive in the relationship. Um, Just... Be careful in your language because that's one of my biggest pet peeves with Criminal Minds is how matter-of-fact they are and um, how often the writers shape the bad guy and the profile like exact puzzle pieces because it doesn't actually work that way. So just please keep that in mind. <laughs> right. So some, of things, <laughs> some of the things a profiler could accurately infer is that this guy probably doesn't have any close family or social ties take up a lot of time. Right. This guy spends a lot of time following Tony around. He doesn't have time so, to do anything else. Right. So that's it's something that kind of would be easy to be fairly precise about. Because unless he's hiring people to stalk Tony, which wouldn't really fulfill his need, he is doing it himself, which means he either is working and doing this, which would take up all of his time, or he has financial means that allow him not to work and do this. So... And if he's working and stalking Tony, he's tired. He's probably a little irritable most of the time. And he's also stalking victims and killing people. So he's busy. He doesn't have time for a social life. His criminal behavior is taking up all of his time. I'm thinking that um, so I dress smoking because MSA's got a very sensitive sense of taste, and most people I know who have a very sharp sense of taste don't smoke. Um, but I'm kind of thinking that maybe he was a little bit drinking, drinking a little bit too much um, until he found the victim that he really liked. Um, The one that kind of tripped his trigger and set his pattern. He found the new drug. Yeah, then he found the thing that was. Otherwise, I'm going to say no drugs. Overall, good health. No hobbies. His hobbies is his hobbies. Tony, that will amuse me later. Yeah, his hobbies, Tony. That's terrible. Introvert extrovert question. It's always interesting. Some characters it's really hard to answer that question. Um, has Tony had contact with the victims before they die? Um, That's a plot question, not yeah, a character so question. Definitely more plot. Um But I that but that could be somewhat of a character question in the sense is he is he is he killing people Tony has interacted with? Is he picking them at that degree? I'll have to think about that, maybe not at first, because if he's contriving kills at first, um he's not gonna want to focus on Tony's personal life that way, yeah when he's in control, but as he devolves, you know what I mean, yeah. Exactly. When he when he div, um, devolves, he's gonna. I think he's gonna have the illusion that he's more in control, when in fact he becomes less in control. All right. Let me, my notes are a mess. Now I gotta see if there's any questions. Oh, introvert extrovert thing. That's always a hard thing to answer with some characters because it's never like a real clear cut thing. Um... Well, I think you kind of like, already answered it for him. Me, in the sense like he's more of a. Um, he's an introvert who sort of has to act like an extro- extrovert. Well, you've, you've called him um, controlling, dominating, repressed, um, internalized homophobia in play, uh, but he's a good agent, not a great agent, a good agent. He's judgmentally he's judgmental internally. Right. These are all things that I've wrote down that you said because I'm stalking mm-hmm. your profile. Um <laughs> <laughs> so, um it you know, in psychology they have this um this theory about um public and private schemas. Um, Mm -hmm. where you have essentially a public face and a private face um, that you present to the world, to everybody around you, even your family and friends. Did you guys hear that? Sounds like wind. It's rain and thunders. It's thundering. Oh, it was thunder. Yeah, it was thunder. Um, I hope I don't lose my internet, but if I do, okay. Um, (laughs) Okay. But, uh, so, what was I saying? Oh, public and private personalities um, schemas. A a public persona, um, everybody has one. Uh, You present it to everybody in your life. Um, So, you could kind of play on that. Um, His two faces. I I think the two faces thing is that somebody who, um, if left to their own devices without obnoxious influence, would have probably been... Someone fairly self-contained, not like a deep introvert, but someone on over the over the line into introverted. Someone who kind of internalizes more and that kind of thing, but rigid. Life, right, rigid. But life forced him to learn how to put on um, a more outgoing, um, assertive, in charge face. Um, kind of like Aaron Hotchner. Kind of like Hotch, yeah. I'll be hysterical. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm making a note. Do I want to have Hotch identify with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> the last prescri- The last thing I would ever say about Tony DiNozzo is that he's introverted. No, that he's is not. Completely and utterly. No, he's um, Tony is. Um, he misdirects a lot. I would say Tony's two his public and his private persona are both um, intro are both extroverts. It's just what he presents. He he's, he doesn't want anybody knowing the real him. I don't think that's a, a case of introversion. I think that's um, something else entirely. Well, I don't think that you can really equate extroversion and lack of discretion. Right. Because. Um, I'm a very private person, but I'm also an extrovert. My husband is a very private person, but he's an introvert. Um, my husband can go the whole day without talking to a single person and be absolutely happy about it. Um, I talked to five different people at the grocery store, but I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) is asking what about the question of where is this going to take place in, season, in, the, in the show And I've been actually all over the mess, I've been all over the place about that because it creates levels of complication depending on where I put it believe it or not because if I put it in season 4 or season 5 um, the whole frog thing becomes very relevant as the source of Tony's stalker because when they have to start investigating who is, who's stalking Tony and doing this bizarre shit, they if it's season four, season five type time frame, and maybe even season six, someone associated with that whole mess, or Jean, could be a very viable suspect they'd have to look into. So, um, I had initially planned to do it in, right around the edge of season four, season five, because this is going to be a Tony gets out of NCIS, ultimately story. Um, but I wasn't certain that I wanted to deal with um, the complication of the red herring that is um, Rene Benoit, which is when I started thinking about putting it in season six or season seven. Um, season seven, it, it like it doesn't. It, when, when I worked on the plotting side of this, it like it didn't matter where I put it. I had all these complications based upon what was going on in canon that needed to address. Um, and since I figure this guy has known Tony from the beginning, um, and one of the things, and I'm not sure how he would deal with Tony being sent afloat if he was this obsessed with him. Well, how long has he been in the background? Years. I got my hand in the air. I actually raised my hand to ask a question. <laughs> Yes, Ms. Marcos. What's your question? <laughs> <laughs> so he's known Tony since he's known Tony since Tony came to NCIS. So when it was just when Tony was just working with Gibbs, just the two of them, Tony would consult with other teams on cases when they didn't have things going on. He worked with this guy a few times. I never named him. I got to do that. Um, he worked with this guy a few times, um, and um, this guy started that process of starting to become infatuated. But as long as Tony was around and somebody he could see on a regular basis and interact with at occasional, you know, the guys getting together for dinner, I think it kind of held things at bay. It could be that Tony being sent afloat is what tipped him over the edge. That could be his trigger. I was thinking the exact same thing. And that Tony coming back or that Tony returning was the trigger. Yeah he was afraid he would go away again so he needs to engage him more that's a good idea so season early season 6 is starting to look more plausible okay let's name this motherfucker because um, while he may not swear I do <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for German last names probably German origins let me just Google that real quick. Common German last names. No, no, absolutely not. You just cannot have Kruger as a last name and not everybody <laughs> thinks that's your serial killer. I mean, he's got to be a little bit, you know. <laughs> Talk about red herrings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, Keller. Keller it is. Killer Keller. Alright. First <laughs> names. I can't couldn't do Ziegler either. No, some of these just sound too much like killers. And what does Keller mean? Just curious. Where did it go? Where'd you go, Agent Mr. Keller? means winemaker. Okay. Yeah, Lady Holder says that Vance's house cleaning could have forced him out. Um, I think that he probably was reassigned when Vance started doing his house cleaning. And... That rather than take a position wherever he was sent to, he decided to quit. Um, now I need to name the with Keller. I can't name him. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. See if I can find this. The male form of Jennifer. Come on, there has to be a male form of Jennifer. You just turned Jennifer Keller into a fifty-year-old serial killer. A male 50-year-old serial killer. That's hilarious. I do bizarre funny things. Also, uh, like, uh, I couldn't use Jensen. I like that name too much. Jenkins. Jenkins? That sounds like a last name to me. Jensen Jensen Keller. Yeah, all right, Jensen Keller, we'll do that. I do like the name, but it'll not have to be a killer for this one. You could do Eugene. Eugene. Hmm. Gene Jean for short. Jean Keller. Look, it's very close to Jean Kelly though. What <laughs> actually do you like? <laughs> Alright, we'll do Eugene. Now. I see about you, Gene Keller. Gene Keller. I'm making Jennifer Keller a serial killer by proxy. You would not believe how often I do bizarre little things like that. Um, And the only person who ever knows about them is me, and I'm amused every time I read them. (laughs) That's like I'm all the time trying to sneak references to Princess Bride into my work. Sometimes it's really overt, and sometimes it it isn't, but it's always there. Okay. So I think I know everything I need to know about Eugene, um, at least his background and stuff. There you go. I just made a bad guy. And I determined his internal motivation and his external motivation in terms of by setting the timeline with him, Vance trying to transfer him and sending Tony afloat as being his trigger. And he's got more than one type of internal motivation. He's got this obsessive love thing going on for Tony, and he's got... um, he falls into his own serial killer pathology in one of his victims, so that's two motivations to deal with. All right, so that guy's done. Are you so If you using your okay, go ahead. Oh, I have I have my own, um, but it's 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 sliced and diced from others because a lot of stuff, a lot of the profile sheets um, um, group things together in logical ways. Um, logical to like set all the demographic information, get all the socioeconomic information, um, and, and that doesn't. My brain doesn't. I don't craft characters that way. I tend to start with, um, you know, um, I, I do. I do need to know very early on about family ties, so that's important. But I don't. The details about their family are usually further down. And then I have a small subset of this stuff that I look at for minor characters. Um, but yeah, I carved it up into my own thing, and then I added some questions that aren't on any um, profile, character profile sheet that I've ever run across, like um, um, things like um, how formal is the language? Does he use contractions? How often does he use idioms? Um, um, what region was his idiom from? You know, top or bottom? Yeah. <laughs> <do> definitely top. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be something that you would have to that that you would want to consider are um, when it comes to um, their sexual orientation and their proclivities. Um, do they like oral sex? Um, have they had a lot of partners? Um, do they like to have sex? On their knees or on their back,
1: because well, these are all. Let's just answer
0: those questions. Okay. <laughs> maybe not this, with Eugene. <laughs> this next question. Well, it's a little bit. It's a little bit relevant for this guy because I'm thinking he's only ever okay. had sex with women, even though he wants to have sex with men. Um mm-hmm. hmm. now, so Now I'm about, Now I'm sitting here thinking about what somebody who's. Oh, I had a great idea. What? What if the kill that triggers him is that he picks up some rent boy that looks like Tony? Mm. And he finally gives in to that. Oh, so it's outside of his normal kill. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So he finally... Okay, so... Well, yeah, of course, it's creepy. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, very to creepy. <laughs> so I'm thinking. I actually have this. I have this notion that he actually prefers um, getting oral sex over fucking with the women he's been with because he can pretend like it's he's not with a woman. Um. Maybe that he only fucks with him from behind too, yeah. if he has to fuck them. So he can even get hard, yeah, because you didn't to be you to didn't talk about his um sexual issues, and uh most men in his position would have um sexual, sexual issues. issues. I'm thinking he favors athletic women so that from the back he can you know pretend pretend more that they're men. Yeah, and he would favor women with short hair. I mean, I spent a lot of time. I do. I do. Like when I write, when I write, when I write Tony in a story, I do think about his. Sit, sit down and think about his. Um, you know, what his sexual preferences are, and how he likes things, and whatnot. Um, so, I do get clear on that kind of stuff. Um, This is probably the most I'm trying to think if there's been a uh antagonist I've gone this done this much of a work up on before. Um and I don't think so. I've gone I've gotten close. Um but I've never had um an antagonist that needed um um that I needed to figure out their their psychological background this much to make them work. My notes on Kevin Jordan are about I don't know, 10 pages handwritten. Mm. He's the antagonist in Ties That Bind. One of the antagonists in Ties That Bind. Because I had to build him um, and he had to be realistic in my mind to work through his goals and his, his menace. Which had to be a little bit deeper than what Sam Carter was about or what um, Summers was about. It was when your character um, when your antagonist when when any OC especially when it comes to fandom when any OC you have to um, you have to ground them in their own reality within canon so that they move like any other character in your narrative, so they don't stand out as an original character. A people, right. you know, get confused about Matt Shepard not being a real part of Stargate, and that's why um, in my work, because I focused a lot on not only giving Matt a reality, but giving him a place in Stargate that no other character occupied. So i I hope that makes sense, yeah, completely I mean I tend to you you work a lot with um um your antagonists are more um on screen than a lot of mine have been um, a lot of the stories there's like the antagonist is very off screen it's like I understand, and part of it is because a lot of the stories the longer stories have had a really pronounced antagonist um they aren't going to really make their appearance until the sequel, which nobody's seen yet. So it's more like you're seeing the influence of what they're doing than, what, than them. Mm-hmm. So they aren't they don't have to actually move in the story as opposed to this guy, who I actually, I mean, I do not want to write from this guy's point of view, um, but he has to actually move in the story and be influencing things. I need to understand him better because otherwise, you know, the whole plot falls apart um, and I, I haven't written many stories that, where the plot falls apart on the bad guy, you know? Well, the thing the is, I is I not only do you have to know him, but Tony has to know him. He has to be a part of the background. He has to be there the whole time. He has to. Right. He has to be woven into the canon in such a way that when he is in a scene, none of the other characters are negatively impacted by his movement. Right. As, so I have to, as like, far in my head, as their own he, character is. Right. I have to know in my head where he sat in the building, um, how often they, he would have seen Tony, how he would have observed their interactions with the team, um, how often they, you know, ran into each other in the hallway. Um, and it's, I think it's pretty common, Fanon, um that Tony gets along really well with everybody in the building. So I'm sort of drawing on that, that he knows, Knows this guy, was as friendly with this guy as he was with anybody else in the building. He um, was on first-name basis with everybody. And that uh, this guy has made it mean more than anybody else obviously did. It meant something to him. You know, that every high, high gene was, or was, was significant. It was personal. Whereas to Tony it didn't mean anything. It was just him being polite. Tony being Tony. Yeah, it was Tony but, being Tony. What I was getting at earlier is that a lot of times in fandom, um, when people say they hate OCs or um, they call a female OC a Mary Sue or you get a Gary Stu, and it's because you've taken an OC and slotted them into a space in canon that belonged to another character. So you really need to carve out their own spot within the canon so they don't stand out like a sore thumb. So they aren't taking somebody else's place. They have their own purpose and that will make your original character fit and not be off-putting. And most readers will accept them. I'm sitting here nodding enthusiastically, like, yes, (laughs) piss. Which doesn't (laughs) translate over the phone. (laughs) So, Mm. Characters that sit, and I think that that is one of the things, it's like, we've talked about this. If somebody wants to write a Mary Sue or do a self insert or whatever it is they want to do, it's fine, but they are often jarring because you, because if someone occupies a space, so completely that they would have, um, that they would have, if they had been literally part of the show, um, altered the entire canon of the show, and then yet somehow the canon did not change. That's jarring to the reader, even if they can't articulate it in that fashion. So if you've got like a super supportive um, director of NCIS. You know, you've written a Mary Sue director of NCIS. And she's awesome, and she's super supportive, and she thinks Tony's the best thing since sliced bread. Um, And you're in season seven of NCIS, and um, Tony bounces things off of her, and then they have long conversations, and nobody knows about this stuff. It's this big secret thing. And she's encouraging Tony to stand up for himself. And da 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 da. Well, what you've actually done is created this character who has let years of negligence go by of Tony telling her horrible things that are happening, and she's been letting it go until season seven for some reason. I'm using that as a random, bizarre example because it actually made. I've never seen that, and if it if it exists, I haven't read it. Um, But when you put an original character in a space that would have changed the way canon rolled out and then you don't actually change canon it kind of invalidates the character it's like well why are they a decent human being now why weren't they a decent human being two years ago or three years ago or four years ago it's sort of like Tony late season Tony having friends who care about him it's like why didn't they care about him 13 years ago it's one of those things I just kind of can't wrap my head around these are things that we could have heard about yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, it's sort of like um there was a thing for a while. Um early on early on in um um uh NCIS when NCIS was like early seasons and stuff, nobody knew anything about Tony's background. So a lot of people wrote um, there were a lot of stories written where Tony had a really supportive, loving family. Both his mother and father were alive, or maybe he had siblings. and He talked to them all the time. Well, the further you go in canon without Tony's family ever making an appearance and it being quite clear that he doesn't have family ties, that trope starts to fall apart. You just It works early season maybe, but it doesn't work late series um, unless you think about how that family occupied the story throughout the entirety of canon. But if you're going in like season 10 and you're saying all of canon happened and he had a loving family and lots of siblings, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's whiplash. It, it's whiplash. It just doesn't make sense. And that's not a, that's not a failure. That's, that's, it's somewhat a failure of plot. But it's also a, a failure of characterization because you haven't thought about the space that the characters you've created are occupying in the show. It's a failure of imagination. Yeah. Ripples. You have to account for the ripples. Yeah. And Harry still runs into the troll in the same way, despite being raised by Sirius. Yeah. Dark. Dark said that. It. It's just. It's just something you've got to. You know. You got to. I think that a Harry raised by Sirius would have still gone to save Hermione. But he wouldn't have stuck his wand up the troll's nose. <laughs> no. I think, I think, I think a, a Harry hairy... raised by Sirius Black would have known how to kill that troll. Exactly. That's my exact thought. Is a Harry raised by Sirius would have walked in there, had the right spell, pulled Hermione out of the bathroom, and said, Oh, we have to go tell the teacher where that troll corpse is. <laughs> that would have been the end of it. Just saying. Because mm-hmm. I I do think that Harry would still be heroic if he'd been raised by Sirius, but he would not be... um, He probably would still be impulsive because Sirius is impulsive. But he wouldn't... um, Get rid of his wand. And he wouldn't be unprepared. No, I agree. I don't know about that because a Harry raised... um, with Sirius... He's still a, he, he's still an eleven year old boy. Well, it, yeah. In terms of would, would Harry have would Harry have talked to, told a teacher where he was going? Um, serious wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, serious wouldn't have. But it depends. I think it depends upon. This is where you have to consider what Harry's relationships are. With the teachers, if he's raised by somebody else and raised in the magical world, if he knew Minerva McGonagall really well, he might have said, Hermione's missing, I'm going to go find her, you know, or something like that, if he knew her well. Now, if he had had no interaction with her, I can't see him behaving um, any differently with her. I don't know that Just he Just imagine was. Sirius putting 11-year-old Harry Potter on the train. Here's your map. Here's the cloak. Don't get caught. Right, Exactly. <laughs> Well, that's all. all. I'm just saying. (laughs) It might have been Draco with Harry going to the bathroom, or maybe Neville. It might not have been Ron, but I, you know, the fact of the matter is, it probably would not have been Ron. So it would have been Neville, and maybe Harry wasn't there when when Ron bullied Hermione. But he finds out she's missing, and he still goes trotting after her because he's a fucking Gryffindor. And he was raised by a marauder, and that's the kind of shit they do. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, All of but, that, um, how how Harry responds is all a function of It's not just was he raised by Sirius. Was he raised by Sirius in Wizarding Britain? Does he know all these kids already? Has he been raised in the Americas and everybody's a stranger to him? I mean, it all, um, as to how he would behave. He already he had a fist fight with Draco? Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, if he was raised in Wizarding Britain and he knows all of these guys, um Odds are, he's got the kind of personality where he's probably going to be the ringleader. I mean, you probably have four or five little Gryffindors trailing after him, like little ducklings, when he goes to get Hermione. It just depends upon how you craft the plot. They might have a tertiary... They might have 3% of a plan by the time they get to the bathroom. (laughs) Characters and plot don't operate independently, so you can't just take a static character and put them in. So, like, I could have... Crafted a bad guy. I could have crafted a serial killer and tried to insert him into the story, but I needed to craft one that would work into this plot. So, and I and I have had and there's a couple points already where I've changed the plot um, from what I had thought originally because it's better character choice to go direction X and let the and evolve the plot a little bit to let the character be. Um, steadier or more real, if that makes sense, um, mm-hmm. rather than have the character do something that seems really artificial in order to make the plot happen, um, which we all but see all often, the time. Is, it really does depend on what comes first, because you built a character for a plot you've already developed versus building a character and then giving them a story, Well, sort of, which is what I did last week. Right. Well, sort of, but <clears> the, the, the idea for the story came from thinking about a character though because I was reading this article about love addiction and I thought well what if somebody had this addiction for Tony and started doing all these bad things so even though I hadn't crafted the character I was still imagining the antagonist as the source of the story so then I went off and instead of finishing creating a character I had this loose idea for the antagonist and then I went and did a plot and then and then I have a whole team of OCs that I had to create, um, which I actually wound up putting into a different story first. That was kind of funny. Um, and um, ugh. and then the only thing left to do, because I, I, I wrote, started the story before De Novo, So um, the FSVU for NCIS, that group of OCs, Um, were all intended originally for this story. So because they were all secondary characters and I already had them planned, um, when I started, when I put this project down and picked up working on De Novo, I just picked that whole unit up um, wholesale and used them as my original characters for De Novo, but they were originally slated for this thick. Which um, is the beauty who, who, of having your own original characters in fandom is that you can reuse them and do whatever the fuck you want with them. Whatever <laughs> you want. So I kind of went about this particular story a little bit of a weird way. Is that is that the story idea was spawned by sort of a you know sort of an ephemeral bad guy that was totally amorphous. There was like no substance to him, but just all I had was a psychological disorder called limerence, and. Um, and then I came up with a plot, and then I did um, the secondary original characters, secondary characters I needed, um, Beth and Aaron and JC and so those three were crafted for the, for, for Limerence. and then i the um, only thing I had only character that was outstanding was um Jean, my Jennifer Keller substitute. <laughs> I have to put on the warning for the show, or on the notes the show, we, we craft a very bad guy. I said content warning, bad guy creation, serial killer discussion. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but Caesar dressing... And uh, Sorry. <laughs> yes, there are anchovies in Caesar dressing, but I'm not putting actual anchovies in my salad. <laughs> no. There's a, anchovies are a far cry from... Um Caesar dressing. And there yeah, there are anchovy bits in Caesar dressing. <laughs> which I can handle. But I can't handle whole anchovies or Italian MSG, as Chef John likes to call them, um, in my salad. No. Oh, God. You know, I feel sorry for people who are on the podcast who aren't in the chat room who hear shit like this because they don't even know what the fuck is going on in the chat room, and it's craziness. Ew. <clears throat> Ew. I do love Caesar dressing, though. I, I really do. I put it on my sandwiches. It's delicious. It's a hit and miss for me. It has to be really good, and more often than not, it's really bad. I get this Caesar dressing at the store called Simply Dressed. It's in the refrigerated section. I like it a lot. If <laughs> well, I type in Simply Dressed, um, it's the it says Simply Dressed dressing is the first hit, and Simply Dressed Caesar is the next hit. <laughs> yeah you know, um my sister is violently allergic to soy, and. Um, Apparently, some Caesar dressings, by more, more than quite a few, have soy in them. Quite a lot of soy. So she couldn't figure out why she was getting so sick every time she ate Caesar salad. She can't have soy sauce? No. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, that's terrible. Oh, sorry. Actually, she can't. Soy sauce, it depends. She can't have any of the soy proteins. So she can't have anything that has okay. any of the soy protein in it. So as long as none of, those, there's no, no, none of the soy proteins are in the soy sauce... Um, so it's one of those things that I don't I don't know how you judge. Maybe the soy protein slipped into here. Um, I don't know. I have I have bookmarked. I'm gonna try this if I can find it. Let's find if they sell it on my coast. It's really good. I I really enjoy it. Um, I also get the um, they have this uh, balsamic vinaigrette. With Simply, from from Simply Dressed. And it's just really yummy. I I like all their dressings. They're not, um... They don't... They're not overly processed, I guess. But I really enjoy them. I hate making my own, so... Yeah, making salad dressing is I can't use fish sauce because I'm allergic to, um, clams and oysters and scallops. The whole little mollusk family. It's terrible. And there's oysters in fish sauce, I believe. Oyster stuff. (laughs) Whatever that might be. There's fish stuff. We can't have none of that. So no fish sauce for me. It so Do we want to keep, keep doing character drills? Do we want to talk about how characters and slot interact? Um, it's, it's totally up to you. totally up to me. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. I'm going to put the darkness that is Eugene in the drawer. I love I shrimp.
1: Uh, I, I can still sh- eat
0: shrimp. It's, it's the mouthfeel of shrimp. I mean, like I, when I bite into it, like I can tell that it's a creature you so crazy i don't I don't wanna eat that i love i fucking love shrimp i I love shrimp cocktail. oh, it's so good, oh my god, I love lobster, I love crab. if my seafood allergy expands to include those things, i'm gonna have a fucking conniption. I'm just saying am vegetarian no, I'm not a vegetarian i'm very I'm very fond of of meat. Cow, pork, chicken's good. Pork is perfect. The pig is perfect. The yeah, pig is perfect. Everything is better than bacon. If I could get a filet mignon off um, a pig, it would be the most perfect animal ever made. <laughs> yes, it would. Oh, <laughs> well, I prefer ribeye. I'm more of a ribeye girl than a, than a filet mignon. Um, I, love, I do enjoy a ribeye. I also recently had a flank steak. Because Chef John kept te- teasing me with them, um, excellent flank steak has a lot oh, of flavor. It tastes really good. Um, a lot of times, it's tough though. Yeah, but that's because you have to cut it against the grain. If you right. if you cut it against the grain, it's really tender. But if but if you cut with the grain, you're chewing it for ten minutes. Chef John taught me that, <laughs> and it was true. <laughs> You have to cut it right. Ouch. Which I never thought was a thing a thing, but it is a thing. It's a th- I had no idea. So yeah. It, it, that was The um the place I go to for burritos, um, uses flank steak for their um carne asada burritos. So I'm very fond mm. of the taste of flank steak. I really enjoyed it. I didn't think I would but I did. I don't like flat iron. I don't like prime rib. It's not my favorite cut. haven't had prime rib in a very long time. I find it to be kind of mushy, usually. The texture's a little mushy for me. Um, I have a sirloin roast in the refrigerator. A sirloin tip. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to cook it for 12 hours. Low and slow. (laughs) The Dark says, I learned something on the internet besides what a Prince Albert looks like. Um, I think the Ampeling is more attractive than the Prince Albert. I have have to tell you that um, pictures of Prince Alberts are often more attractive than the actual thing. Um, because I knew a guy who had a Prince Albert, and it was startling. Did you know that a man with a Prince Albert pees out of two holes? Well, that kind of makes sense.
1: Just they saying. are They
0: are piercing right through there. I think they tried right. with the Ampelang and the Apodravia. Mm-hmm. I I think they tried to go around, so that there's it's not always up. successful. Not always successful. But I do think the antler is is more attractive. I like the. I like the. uh, Not that I set out to watch him pee. It it just it happened. Sometimes these things happen. (laughs) Because that's not one of my things. If it was, I would say it because I don't care. I have no shame. But it's not one of my things. (laughs) That's not a thing for me. (sighs) I'm more, you know, I'm more. Actually, if I were. writing smooth with a genital piercing, and I wanted it to be, I'd probably do probably more like I did the base of the penis. I'm not even, I don't even remember what the name of that piercing is called when right tried the base of the dick. Because, and the reason I say this, is because it doesn't interfere with functionality, you know. Agreed, agreed. The okay. I know. have Jacob Slatter. I think that's really hot. It, you know, I had, I knew somebody. And that's um, a perineum piercing for those of you who aren't aware. <laughs> Um, I knew one of my one of my cousins was involved with somebody who had the, the whole underside of the the penis pierced. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say he had eight piercings and that Ooh. eight eight barbells. Um, anyway, so she they waited through the whole he- healing period for him, and uh, the first time they had sex, she was just like, "Oh, he was in agony." She said it was terrible. He, he she was like this is a total downer so you know it's just these things to think about is, is your piercing going to get in the way of fucking did it, it Did it answered? get better um well he eventually he well sort of I mean, if you have an infected piercing you actually should not take it out It's the last thing you should do because he did irritate them um they did get infected almost right away even though he just finished the healing process so he had to go through back through another period of oral sex um For her, mind you, he wasn't, like, getting anything because he didn't want anything touching his down there. Um, And um, he had to wait for it to heal again because he thought he would take him out, and the piercer was like, no, 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 no. You don't take out an infected piercing because then you can get an abscess. You've got to leave that in until it heals so that everything drains properly. And once it's completely healed, then you can take it out. And so as student was healed, so he went through like, it took him, like, a total of six months to go through two or three rounds of healing with this, at least six months, um, to get... Um, Everything heals so he could take it out Without risking an abscess Because once he he realized how much it's going to interfere with him having sex um, He's like that's got to go Now okay How could he not think it would Piercing the premium is one thing But piercing the actual dick How could you think that wouldn't interfere with your sex life I don't know I have no idea. Why did that risk. not cross your mind, dude? Um like we come back we come back to testosterone. Testosterone makes men you know <laughs> testosterone. Poisoning. They're not a, it makes you not averse here. to risk, you know, and you don't think things through. Four gauche <sighs> piercings. Why would anybody want four gauche piercings? I have to click on that now. I do too. Oh, I see. Re- so, yes that's yeah. Well, it's pretty. I, I, I mean, I it, would, it, it wouldn't interfere with anything. No, it, I think it's hot. Yeah, it wouldn't. it's, yeah. And asshole, just as a bonus. My sister, my middle sister, the the middle sister um, has a clip, has her clit pierced. The clit or the and, clit hood? Um, the hood. She has okay. the clit hood pierced. You almost, um, and, you almost, you almost gave me <laughs> I was like, what? Her, did someone agree to do that? Really? How, how do I even clamp it? <laughs> I, was just, I was sitting here like. It has a really big clit. Um, she has her clit like hood pierced. And squeezing here. my leg. And, uh, she, um, when she, when she first got it, it, it wasn't a problem. And then she got a bigger barbell. And she puts that in and she calls me and she says, I need you to go to my apartment and get my other piercing because she's at work and she can't leave. And I was like, Why? And is it in, is, I said, Is it at least in a Ziploc bag? Because <laughs> I don't want to touch it.
1: I don't want to touch that it's
0: thing. It's in a Ziploc bag and um, I need you to bring it because I put in the bigger one and I've had three orgasms. And I, I need some relief and I can't take it out without replacing it. <laughs> she says that every time she walked, it rubbed up again. And she said the third one, it put her on her knees. I said, That's awesome. She says, Yeah, it's awesome if I wasn't at work. <laughs> Give me the so, smaller barbell or else. Proceed with caution, ladies. <laughs> Learn from my sister's mistake. <laughs> it's one of those I just the funny thing, one of the reasons why I have I have a lot of piercings myself, um or I did, I should say. the holes are mostly still there, I imagine. But once you've had to take all of your jewelry out multiple times for MRIs, back to back, you just start to go, I made this like I had this moment where I went, you know, If I have to take this jewelry out one more time, one more time, I am not putting it back in. And that one more time came like two weeks later. I was like, fuck, that's it. I'm done. (laughs) And some of my piercings were like 10 or 8 gauge. And that shit just does not go back in very easily if you don't put it back in right away. And I just, I can't even. So anyway, so. Um, But because I have a lot of experience with being pierced and healing all that stuff, I tend to not, it's actually a reason I don't write characters with body piercings, because I'd be too tempted to talk about the reality of it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how do you care for that? How do you make sure it doesn't get infected? And no, you really don't want to put a piercing right there. You really, really don't. Do you want to pee out two holes for the rest of your life? Well, I have a question about that i mean does does the Prince Albert heal up? i mean or is that whole i mean you know, sometimes piercings are... the holes never go away uh, it depends on how big the the um i mean it, I, it doesn't really go away it's sort of like it's sort of like um uh your tongue um like I've had my tongue pierced like four or five times you know um I mean, you can still see kind of where – they always pierce through approximately in the same area. Um, and I'm sure you could probably get a very thin insertion taper in there, um, but it's really tight. It really is I – mean it's, it's really closed up, and you might be able to stretch it back open. I don't know. But it depends on how big the – um, um ugh, how big the gauge of the metal was as to whether or not you've kind of got, you know – um something that completely closes closes up tight and seals, or is it like, um, you know, saloon doors waiting to happen? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a terrible visual, but... See, I, had a friend <laughs> who, um, I had a friend who had a um, navel piercing. Now, navel piercings are single-surface piercings, which is why they grow out so quickly. You're not piercing from one side to another. You're piercing along one plane of skin much like an eyebrow or the back of your neck or your cheek or whatever you're piercing through one plane you know so the body tends to push them out and you want to get it out before you have that saloon door effect happening you know so she waited so long to take hers out that you can tell like for all eternity it it, it didn't she's like you know one scratch away from having two little swinging spots of skin right over her belly button. I'm like, oh. you can take that out. That, I'm like, you got to take that out. That thing is barely behind the skin now. It's grown out so much. She's like, oh, yeah, you're probably right. Takes it out. The same thing happens with eyebrows. They grow out all the time. But those often leave scars when they grow out. Um, oh, you're making the most terrible face. I've only ever had my ears pierced. I can't even keep earrings in those. So, you know... Like I stretched my lobes at one point to um, 10 gauge um, barbells for a while. Yeah. Um, at one point, I had I think 17 ear piercings, and I stretched my lobes to be seven to be um, either 10 or 8 gauge. I can't really remember. Um, and they're I haven't worn anything in my lobes in a few years, and they're they're pinhole size now, so they just shrank right back down. But there does come a point where if you're doing if you're really stretching those lobes out, like when you do um plugs, that you'll just have a you know, a big thing there. Yeah. Like a little hole in a sloppy skin. Yeah. Now I had several um cartilage piercings that were ten gauge in my ears. And those holes get a little tighter but because they're cartilage and the cartilage is gone, I mean it's punched out. Um, those holes are always there. I was considering getting that piercing for migraines. But I backed out. Is that, is that the days or the rook that they do for The Days. The, the 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 D one. Yeah, the um Days. That is not um that's a that's a six month to a year to heal because I had the piercing right above that. The rook. Mhm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was, oh, that took forever to heal Cartilage piercings in the ear are just a bitch They're terrible Yeah, I backed out I'm kind of a pansy I admit that Is Prince Albert mainstream? I don't think you could ever say that putting a big hole in the head of your penis is mainstream In your dick Right uh, Yeah, no I I would say no I mean, mainstream means your dad's got it. (laughs) I assure you, my 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 daddy does not, (laughs) because my mom would have already told me. I freaked out, I freaked myself out. I'm just saying that mainstream would imply that um it is a profoundly common piercing and it's not. It's not the most severe piercing that you can see on a penis obviously. Um but uh yeah. I don't I don't think I, don't I wouldn't think any consider genital it mainstream. piercing could ever be in, in, in. I don't male or female any genital piercing is not going to be mainstream. Um. Just, no <laughs> I mean, that shit hurts like hell I mean, just, most people It, it also, you know Someone's all up in your business <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know I, um, No Anyway, okay, so um, why don't we talk, um, instead of doing, I do need two minor characters, but eh, we can talk more about how um, characters, um, characterization and plot and how they intersect. Because we were kind of going on that direction before we got to talking about Piercing. Dick Rods. Yeah, yeah Rods, Dick Rods, was. Dick Rods, that's got a permanent place in my lexicon now. Thank you very much. Dickrod. Um, Dick Rod. I, girl. <laughs> it's also I think important when you're um doing a crossover um to also keep in mind um when you're crossing over characters and you're putting characters from different fandoms into your story to keep um, their placement in mind in each canon. And that's why sometimes some crossovers just don't work. And why some crossovers work very well, like Criminal Minds and NCIS or... um, uh stargate you can you you can kind of almost insert stargate almost into any um canon almost because the stargate's a secret so the only thing that so there's not it usually doesn't work with is um other big secrets. Um, and I can, only, I can only think of really of like one time I've read it where I thought it was done and handled well, meaning um, when you take two, two canons that are about containing a big secret and you put them together and neither knew about the other's big secret, you have to really analyze why because – the Stargate's connected very heavily at the level of the president. And if the president knows about the other big secret, um, you have to just kind of navigate... Um, it'd be sort of like putting... Um, like it's, there are some authors who do, the, who, who do navigate the issues around putting big secrets together. But, like, um, it's very hard. I've used Supernatural as an example of a difficult fandom for me to do as a crossover because... The, you know, the creatures that go bump in the night are pretty obvious and pretty pervasive and supernatural, and everybody's oblivious to it. So you call into question the competence of your characters that none of them have encountered this thing before or that they were all willing to just write off whatever weirdness they had seen um, or their willingness to just f- forget how easily their minds are... Are willing to let go of things they can't make sense of, which makes them seem weak-minded. Um, it's it's not an easy thing for me as, as now. Sometimes I can suspend my disbelief as a as a reader, easy, more easily than I can as a writer. But like, what, like especially like I couldn't I, I would not be able to easily write across over with supernatural and um, and C I S because all of those unsolved cases that were attributed to supernatural means. What, no one's ever had a question about that before? No one's ever dug further. Tony's never dug further. Gids has never dug further. They've never run across Supernatural Creature ever, really, in all their law enforcement careers. And it just makes, to me, I have an issue with the level of competence. Um, well, what you do is you build it so, of course, they know. Right, that's the only way you could do it for me. Is that's the only way I could do it is that, of course, they know about it. But if you're trying to if you're now, trying to have them not know and have to do a big supernatural reveal, or Dean or Sam reveal that they're hunters, to, and Tony's like, "Oh my God, creatures go bump in the night." Well, I'm like, "Come on, Tony, where you been for the last, you know, thirty-five years, dude?" So, well, you have to consider you I, making your characters she, look like dark. Mentioned Stargate and Harry Potter. Um, the obvious way to cross over Stargate and Harry Potter is to make magicals ancients. That they descend yeah. directly from ancients. And that Jack O'Neill is basically um, a wizard. <laughs> and so is John. And so is anybody who's a natural gene character um, carrier would be a wizard or a witch. So I'm not saying, I, 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 I think some of the comments in the chat are making me think people are misinterpreting what I said. I'm not saying it's never been done well. I'm saying that it is a very challenging thing to do. When you take two secret canons and put them together, is you have to consider the ramifications of what it says about your characters. If something has been relatively under their nose, and they're they're a highly competent character and yet don't know anything about it, so they end up looking so, like a dumbass, right? And so it it you it can reflect on your characterization and on your characters when this kind of so it's something that you have to put more thought to when you're bringing those kinds of the what we call the big secret, what I, what I think of as the big secret shows together. Um, but normally it's easy to, like like Kira said, normally it's easy to take to cross over with a show like Stargate because um, what they're doing is a secret. So you can put them with any kind of crime drama or anything. So and, you don't expect the people at NCIS to know about the Stargate program. You don't expect them to... Um, be aware of, of home world security versus um, homeland, homeland security. security. Right. Um, these are things very, that are easy to hide right. and explain because away. They're like information. It's very carefully protected by the government that they work for. So of course they wouldn't know. You know. So some some things are easier to bring together than others. But also, it would be easy to say that Vance is aware of the Stargate program because he's the director of a federal agency. And there are um, Marines in Cheyenne Mountain. Um, There's every reason to believe there's actually an official NCIS asset in Cheyenne Mountain Mm -hmm. because of the Marine presence. So you can say that um, Vance is very aware of the Stargate program for that reason, so it's so it's easy to kind of um, to work it. Or if not him, definitely Secretary of the Navy would be. Um, mm-hmm. Because you know the Secretary of the De- Defense has to be has to know. Um, but I would imagine the heads of federal agencies are have to be alerted about how to handle because I mean. Um, you can't just issue weird security briefings. If you ever arrest somebody whose eyes glow, you know, this is what you should do without some this kind of is a, this is who you should call. And if you see but a dude that looks like this. If you see a dude running around looking like Marilyn Manson, who's not in fact Marilyn Manson, arrest his ass immediately. Be careful of the hand. <laughs> Yeah. You might want to get a knife out and, like, chop off the hands before you try to arrest this guy. Um, I'm trying to think of what canons... What kinds of canons don't merge well together? Uh, Animated shows and shows set with physical people? I have a hard time. Except for that one really awesome crossover where Tony got minions. Yeah, uh... Oh, I mean, you mean the minions. Oh, minions? Tony Stark got minions. For one oh. year, I think it was Bob. Bob appears in his lab, and then the others keep coming. So he has all the minions. Tony Stark inherits the minions, basically. I haven't, I haven't um, read that one, but that would be awesome. Well, and Senna did, like, did one. Senna did one. Well, she started one where Tony gets um, Donozo gets um, a Pokemon. Or Pokey, but yeah, Pokemon comic. But you kind of visualize animals, you know, like you know, like a, like a. I think he had an Eevee, and um, which is sort of a fox bunny, and you can kind of visualize a fox bunny, you know, and what it would look like. You know, you don't, you aren't visualizing the cartoon thing. So when you when you visualize when you're crossing over animated with live action stuff, um, I can treat it like original characters as long as the author fan casts everybody. Um, If I, you know, if I can get a picture in my head, fan casts really help. So there you go. Word to the wise out there, if you're going to do a crossover with an animated fan cast, everybody, because it will really help people who um, have a hard time bridging that gap. Disconnect, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it be an age thing for me, because I just don't, um, I don't watch those shows, and um, I don't, um, so... I used to watch, um, for a while I watched Helsing, and um, there were some crossovers into some other sh- fandoms I read that are crossing over with Helsing, but I couldn't, even though I actually watched Helsing and I knew some of the, the show canon, I wasn't able to bridge that gap because I'm visualizing these cartoon characters just bouncing around in the real world like, Like Roger you know, Rabbit. Like Roger Rabbit, and I couldn't get past it. Um so I uh, – um, one of the stories I really, really wanted to read because I'd been hearing really good things about it. So I um, I did my own fan casting of everybody to kind of get a, to try to get a different visual. Ultimately, it still didn't mm-hmm. work um, for me, but, you know, helped a little bit. But I just – I couldn't get past the, 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 the Who Framed Roger Rabbit vibe of the whole thing. A big secret, Warehouse 13. I would have a hard time – Crossing over Warehouse 13 and Stargate, unless they knew about each other. Right. If they both are big secrets, if they're secrets to each other, it's like, why don't they know about each other? Or at least I would think Stargate would need to know about Warehouse 13. On the other side of it, I think I could write an awesome crossover about Warehouse 13 and the librarians. Oh, yeah. I think Eureka and Stargate goes really well together. Yeah. It's technology-based. I th- I could see Stargate being aware of Eureka. I'm not certain about the other way around. Agreed. Unless they're using Eureka as their think tank. Mm. And everybody in Eureka is part of the Stargate program. Yeah, that would work. But I could, I, mean, I could write Warehouse 13 and Stargate, but they would have to be aware of each other. It couldn't be a surprise. Because when you insert a surprise between two big secrets, it's like, are you fucking serious? But then you have to, when you do that, you have to follow through the ramifications of what does it mean that these two canons exist together and that they're aware of each other and how that it changed things. And if your answer is it didn't change anything... Then you need I'm, to stop. I'm frowning at you listening. <laughs> I'm frowning at you. Change. It's got to change. So I just pulled up. I just pulled I'm, I'm going to say, say something controversial. I love it when Maybe you not, controversial things. But it's probably going to be ugly. But I'm going to say it. I don't understand why you bitches keep writing canon. Events without changing them I don't fucking understand what's the point if I wanted to read Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone I would I don't need you to rewrite that shit for me I don't get it I've seen dead air I don't need you to tell me that story tell me a different story about dead air don't tell me the same fucking story And don't tell me the same fucking story and, or tell me a different story with the same fucking outcome. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, that is the, <laughs> oh, oh my God, that's like my big pet peeve. It's like you start with, even if you start at the end, you start, you don't, even if you don't rehash the episode. start at the end of Dead Air, have a big blow up over the breach in procedure, and then nothing changes. What was the point of all of this? Other than Tony having less self-respect at the end of your story than he has beginning of it, <laughs> it's just I'm lost. <laughs> I'm done. Pin drop. <laughs> I'm done. I don't get it. I mean, maybe that you know. I think that a lot of times when you first start out writing in fandom, that you're very comfortable writing, um, um, kind of exploring those canon events but i don't understand even then the point of rehashing canon. I mean, i thought the whole point really for me fanfiction the whole point is to to what if it? What if? Oh yeah, sometimes you need events to happen. You you need certain things to happen to um connect yourself to canon in a way. Um Unless you're going to do a complete AU um, and just use somebody else's characters. But you're not required to approach it from the same direction as canon. Or to let future events play out. Like, okay... Say, for instance, in um, Hold My Coffee, which is my new um, McKay's a Girl series, um, I have Carson Beckett going completely off the rails. Uh, he doesn't go to Pegasus. That's not really a spoiler, because if you thought he was, you hadn't been paying attention. Um, so, what happens <laughs> in Pegasus? Things are going to be different. What happens when, um, if John gets bit by the Aratus bug, what happens? How do the people on um, Atlantis respond? Um, well, okay. So, like, let's take your example of what you did here, where Carson's not on, and you got, you're going to have a new doctor, whoever that's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. The Hoff. The, they go to Hoff. If you had made those events play out the same way, that's the kind of thing we're talking about, right? It's like, what the fuck? Because a lot of that crap on Hoff, the way the stuff with the Hoffens went down, it was like, why did why did Beckett participate in some of that shit? And if, you're no doctor, re- if you're taking a doctor, if you're taking a doctor who's more, it's le- I want to stab people over that episode. I know it's terrible. But I remember, I, Kira and I—we talked. I saw, I saw the the whole scene with Carson, and I was—you had sent it to me and asked me if I had any thoughts about it, and I'm reading it. About the Carson thing, and I was like, "How do I say this in a nice way?" <laughs> I was like, "Well, because I think you asked. I don't remember exactly how you put the question, but I said, well, it depends upon whether or not Carson's still going on the expedition or not.'" <laughs> and I was like, "How I do asked I? Was, did I go too far?" Yeah, and that was my answer. Well, well, it depends upon whether or not he's still going or not. And I was thinking, (laughs) if if he's going on the expedition, I really don't understand how she's going to pull this off. (laughs) 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 I was like, "Um, I don't know. It depends. (laughs) Is he going to Atlantis or not? (laughs) Well, the thing is, is, um, Carson is responsible for a lot of destruction in Mm -hmm. Pegasus. A lot off. of incompetence. Michael? Um, his... Fix the race plan? I, I saw oh. my brain briefly just now. Um, it, it... It it drives me bonkers. It drives me fucking bonkers. So what happens when John gets bit by the erratus bug? If he gets bit. Um, what happens, um when um in that episode with Ella the the race girl um she was she is the reason that John turns into a bug right yeah because she's got some kind of drug in her to suppress her is that Carson's doing the drug in Ella was not I'm. I i do not remember. Any, I remember her father created the drug, but I don't know if Carson interfe- in, intervened in that at any point or not. I don't Does remember the end of that the episode drug they very end well. Up trying to use to fix the Wraith. At any rate, these are all events that I'm going to have to really spin my head around, Um, but I don't think I'm going to actually have Ron, did I say Ron, John get bitten by the erratus bug. I'm going to kind of, that's not going to happen. I just, I don't want to go there again. At any rate, um, just uh, Carson and um, the whole thing just, um, you know what? The first time I head-tilted at Carson is um, in the episode where Rodney gets the ATA gene. And, I know. Um, what the hell? I'm thinking to myself, are you fucking kidding me? You just gave the CSO of the entire fucking expedition an experimental gene therapy? And then discharged him to go and say, let me know if anything happens. Like, what? Bye. What? We're down to a minute and a half on the show. Um, And that is the number one reason why Carson Beckett should never have been in Pegasus to begin with. Because he could have killed Rodney right then, right there, and they would have been fucked. Just saying. Just saying. It would have been all over. The fat lady would have been singing. <laughs> yeah, Rodney did have allergies. It was just a really bad, dumb, stupid idea. We're down to 46 seconds. You guys have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you later. Say so goodnight, Julie. night, everyone.